Well, good morning, guys. So it's good to see everyone, and we had a great first service. Um, it's been one of those mornings where everything that could go wrong from a technology standpoint went wrong, um, but I appreciate our worship team uh, hanging in there and doing a great job. We have several of our worship team members over at Hillcrest this morning, too. Uh, they helped with the, the men's conference this week, and so that's been neat. Uh, but we, I'm just glad you guys are here, and uh, we're continuing a series uh, on the power to change. It's based on a book and sermon series by Pastor Craig Groeschel. He's out of Oklahoma. Uh, I think this has been a great way to, uh, to really start the new year. Uh, to, because we all have things in our life that we know we need to change, but that we're struggling with. We struggle with that process. So this series has really helped us understand how we change and why we need to change. So uh, starting off this morning, uh, and I'll warn you, I'm a little amped up this morning. Um, I want to ask you a question. How many of you like to win? You just say, Mike, I, I'm, I'm, I like to win when I'm... I'm telling you guys, uh, I like to win, but even more so, I hate to lose. Okay? And so, like... I'm just one of those people, I'm overly competitive, and I've got to be careful because like, if I'm playing basketball, I want you to go down. I mean, I'm wanting to, to win, and uh, it does not bring out Christ-like attitudes in me when I play sports, okay? Um, and so when our kids were little, I mean, bless their hearts, I mean, I'm like, I don't care, I'm not letting them win, and when they lose, I'm going to let them know that they lost, because it builds character, right? Um, that's just, I mean, I'm just super competitive. Um, and so here's what the Apostle Paul said in 1 Corinthians. We'll come back to this, but I want you to hear this. He said, don't you realize that in a race everyone runs, but only one person gets the prize, so run to win. So, you know, I think we could paraphrase this. I think... Uh, uh, Ricky Bobby did a good job paraphrasing this for us. If you ain't first, you're... How y'all know that? Did y'all see that movie? <sighs> no, I'm just kidding. But in all seriousness, right, we're going to be digging into this passage this morning. And Paul didn't say, run and try really hard. Run and feel good about yourself. He didn't say, run to get the participation trophy. He said, run to win. So if the Bible tells us we need to run in such a way that we win, why does it feel like in so many areas of our life that we're not winning? When it comes to our spirituality, why does it feel like you know, when we want to pray more, we want to read our Bible more, we're not really growing like we should be, and so we feel like we're not winning. When it comes to our finances, why does it feel like we're constantly uh, getting more in debt and we're just living paycheck to paycheck. Or when it comes to our relationships, why does it feel like we're struggling in our marriage or with our relationship with our kids or relationship with our parents and all these different things that we're in this struggle with that we would not really describe it as winning in life. And so today, the answer that I want to share with you uh, and I'll just tell you, I'm kind of tell you where we're going before we even get there. The answer is, I think you're trying too hard. If I had to title my message this morning, it would be to stop trying. Now, that may not make sense right now, and I don't want you to take that the wrong way, but hang with me to the end of the message, and I hope you'll have a better understanding of this. 
It's very common, I think, among Christians to have what I would call a theology of trying. And so you go through life and say, I really want to change, so I'm going to try really hard. I'm going to try to get closer to God. I'm going to try to read my Bible. I'm going to try to pray more. And so we spend our time trying to be, just trying to, 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 to do better. I want to be more patient with my kids, so I'm going to try really hard not to yell at them. I, I, want, to be, I, I want to quit eating so much, so I'm going to try not to eat that donut on Sunday morning. I'm going to try. And so we go through life and, and our goal is to just try. And I would say this, right? We need to, to have a different perspective. John Ortberg uh, wrote a book. Uh, I was reminded of it this week and went back and looked up some quotes, uh, The Life You've Always Wanted. And he said this, he said, For much of my life, when I heard messages about following Jesus, I thought in terms of trying hard to be like him. So after hearing or preaching, for that matter, a sermon on patience on Sunday, I would wake up Monday morning determined to be a more patient person. Have you ever tried hard to be patient with a three-year-old? I have, and it generally didn't work any better than would my trying hard to run a marathon for which I had not trained. I would end up exhausted and defeated, and given the way we are prone to describe following Jesus, it's a wonder that anyone wants to do it at all. And so uh, that kind of lays out the problem that we see. We try, but that trying doesn't really get us anywhere. Uh, if you're new with us today, let me give you a little bit of review to catch you up. This is the fifth week in this series. So we started off on week one talking about real and lasting change. It is not behavior modification. Instead, it is spiritual transformation. So that was kind of the key lesson. And then we talked about if you want to change what you do, you want to change your actions, you've got to change your identity. You have to know who you are in Christ Jesus. And then based on who you want to become, what one habit do you need to start? We talked about the whole process of how things become habits. And then Lucas did a great job last week talking about based on who we want to become, what one habit do we need to break? And so throughout this series, we've kind of been answering those, those basic questions like, uh, who do you want to become? Why do you want to do it? Uh, what do you do? And, and what do you not do? And today we're going to talk about the how. How do you become the person that God intends for you to become? Yesterday uh, morning, uh, I know this was a, a big deal on TV that nobody watched, but the U.S. Olympic team had the marathon trials. Uh, did anybody else watch that besides me? Um, I really get into stuff like that. And so I love track and field, love racing, love track, uh, you know, things, the marathon. And so you would think uh, the marathon was super exciting to watch. You would think a two-hour race is not exciting. But it is such a struggle uh, to endure running for over two hours at that level um, and a couple of the people I were pulling forward didn't make the team but it was incredible to watch that uh, but it reminded me of another story by John Ortberg I want to share with you today and he wrote about this in a book he said imagine if a group of people came to your home and interrupted your twinkie eating tv watching routine with an urgent message Good news, we're from the United States Olympic Committee. We've been looking for someone to run the marathon in the next Olympics. We have statistics on every person in the entire nation on the computer. 
Uh, we've checked everybody's records, their performance, and the fit, president's physical fitness test. Y'all remember that? I don't even know if they still do those things. Uh, body type. We've checked your body type, bone structure, right down to your current percentage of body fat. We have determined that out of 200 million people, you are the only person in America with a chance to bring home the gold medal in the marathon. So we want to add you to the squad. You're going to run the race. This is the chance of a lifetime. You're surprised by this because the farthest you've ever run is from the couch to the refrigerator. Can y'all relate? But after the first shock passes, you are gripped by the realization of what's happening in your life. You picture yourself mingling with the elite athletes of the world. You allow yourself to imagine that maybe you do have what it takes. At night, you dream about standing on the podium after the race and hearing the national anthem, seeing the flag raised and bending low to receive the gold medal. Here's my chance. The race becomes the great passion of your life. It dominates your mind. It occupies every waking moment. To run the race well, to win it if you can, becomes the central focus of your existence. It's what gets you out of bed in the morning. It's what you live for. It is the chance of a lifetime. But then it dawns on you. Right now, you cannot run a marathon. More to the point, you cannot run a marathon even if you try really, really hard. Trying hard can accomplish only so much. If you are serious about seizing this chance of a lifetime, you will have to enter into a life of training. You must arrange your life around certain practices that will enable you to do what you cannot do now by willpower alone. When it comes to running a marathon, you must train, not merely try. This need for training is not confined only to athletics because training is required for people who want to play a musical instrument or learn a new language or run a business. Indeed, it is required for any significant challenge in life, including spiritual growth. And that kind of leads me right into my first point this morning that I really want you to think about. And it's simply this, spiritual transformation. It is not a matter of trying harder, but of training wisely. It's a, it's a matter of training wisely. There's a huge difference between training and trying to do something. And so what Paul uses in much of his writing is these athletic metaphors. And, and he placed this, this emphasis on training. 1 Corinthians 9, let's go back to that passage and expand upon it a little bit. He said, don't you realize that in a race everyone runs, but only one person gets the prize, so run to win. He said, all athletes are disciplined in their training. They do it to win a prize that will fade away, but we do it for an eternal prize. So I run with purpose in every step. I'm not just shadow boxing. I discipline my body like an athlete, training it to do what it should. Otherwise, I fear, fear that after preaching to others, I myself might be disqualified. I think to understand this, you have to go back and understand uh, kind of athletic competitions in that day and age. Uh, many of you know that the Olympics started in, uh, in Greece, right? Olympia, Greece. Did you know, though, that they were conducted every four years from 776 B.C. to A.D. 393 in Olympia, Greece? Now, here's why I think sometimes we don't put two and two together. We don't realize that that is during the times that the Bible was written. This is during biblical times, the Olympics were going on in Greece. And so we know about the Olympics, but there were also three other major uh, uh, kind of athletic competitions 
that were going on. So almost all the time, there was some type of competition going on in the culture there. One of the other big ones were, were the Isthmian Games, and they were significant. They were second kind of, they were the next level down from the Olympics, but they were really close. And the interesting thing about those is those games were held in Corinth. And so when Paul was in Corinth and, uh, and, and working with the church there, uh, in fact, if you kind of match up the years, it looks like he was there during this competition. One commentary that was, I was reading even uh, kind of suggests that we know Paul was a tent maker. Uh, these uh, athletic competitions were full of tents and things, and he very well could have worked as a tent maker and supplied uh, the tents for these competitions. He obviously is very aware of what's going on in them. And so he's talking about here, you know, a, a competitor would strive for a crown um, and they were striving for a crown, a wreath that would quickly pass away. But he's saying spiritually, we are, we're striving for something that has eternal significance. He says, that, you know, I don't want to be disqualified. And, and for these athletes that would sign up to compete, they had to undergo rigorous training. It was like a 10-month period of rigorous training and diet and, and coaching and to, to prepare themselves for these competitions. And if they messed up along the way, they would be disqualified. And so understanding that kind of helps us understand what he's talking about here. Uh, we're working for an eternal prize. We're doing something uh, uh, with significance. We, we're doing something where we need to understand what training looks like. And so when we look at Scripture and we, it talks about we need to become more godly, the Bible doesn't say just try really hard. When we read in, in Scripture, it talks about glorifying God or honoring God with our life. It doesn't say just try. You don't have to do it. Just try. Right? There's more to it. 1 Timothy 4, uh, Paul says it this way. He says, Do not waste time arguing over godless ideas and old wives' tales. Instead, train yourself to be godly. Physical training is good, but training for godliness is much better, promising benefits in this life and in the life to come. So don't try, but train. There's a huge difference here. He says physical training, that's good. That's helpful. We need to be doing it. But when we train ourselves for godliness, it gives you benefits for eternity. I like what Dallas Willard says. He says, we're not trying to be different people, but we're training to be different people. In other words, we've got to quit wasting our times on, <laughs> on things that really don't have eternal significance. That's why he says, don't waste your time arguing over godless ideas and uh, I would say, like in our time today, don't waste your time on Galax's talk of the town. Amen? I mean, why, don't waste, yourself, waste your time on things that don't have eternal significance. Don't keep scrolling and scrolling and scrolling. Instead, train yourself to be godly. Now, the Holy Spirit changes us, but we have... We have to engage in this process of allowing ourselves or putting ourselves in a position where we can be trained, right? And so the need for preparation and training, it applies to every area of our life. And I'm telling you, right, learning to think and to feel and to act like Jesus is just as demanding as it is running a marathon. 
If I, if I was to challenge you guys, hey, I want, I want you all to run a marathon, first you would tell me I'm crazy, and second, I would, we would probably lose everybody in the church. But you know it's a serious task ahead of you. You know that it's, man, this is not going to be something that you can just do without any training. Can I tell you that following Jesus, I mean, we always hear, oh, you should become a Christian. It's easy. No, it's not. It's simple, but it's not easy. If you want to follow Jesus, you have to enter into it with the same mindset as, as, as if you're going to run a marathon. This is, this is what it looks like. This is what it takes to follow Jesus. It's going to take some effort. It's going to take some discipline. It's going to, take, um, uh, it's going to be a process where I'm not going to be able to do it all at once, but he's going to work in me to change me day by day to become more like Jesus. The process of sanctification. It's a process of transformation. And so John Ortberg says, when we follow Jesus, it simply means we learn from him how to arrange our life around activities that enable us to live in the fruit of the Spirit. We have to arrange our life around what matters most. And can I just say that for so many of us, myself included, I think we don't have our lives arranged very well. We, we don't really prioritize well. We don't really train ourselves well. So how, what's, what's the difference between training and trying? I, I've talked about that, and we kind of know, and, and I think you kind of have an understanding. Let's kind of take it one step further. Let me give you uh, some definitions to help you understand the difference, and hopefully these will help you uh, kind of make it a little more simple. Here's what trying is. Trying is an attempt to change with minimal commitment. Now, we may, not, we may not really come out and say that, but I think that's what trying is. What trying is, it's a half-hearted attempt. And, and what you're doing, you're giving yourself a way out when you even, before you even begin. I'm going to try to do this. What in essence you're saying is, I don't really think I can do it, um, but I'm going to try. And if I fail, then that's all right because I'm just trying. Does that make sense? That's what we do a lot of times when we try. I'm trying to read my Bible. You're saying that and you're like, uh, I really don't have time to do it. But I'm going to try, but it's probably not going to work out. And so you go into it with the mindset of a, kind of a, an escape clause of like, I'm not really going to see this through, but I'm going to try anyway. That's what trying is. On, training, on the other hand, is a whole different mindset. Training is a wholehearted commitment to achieve a specific result. It's an all-in commitment designed to bring about a specific result. And so when you're trying, you just kind of show up and hope. I'm trying to do better this time, but, but when you're training, you are committed. In the church world, we talk a lot about discipleship. And for us at Cornerstone, that's our heart. That's what we're all about. We uh, it, it's not about Sunday morning and coming and experiencing some grand show. It's about we want to equip you for, to, to, on how to follow Jesus in your everyday life. Uh, but we don't use the word training a whole lot, and it's probably a word we should use more. When you hear the word training, what do you think about? Um, many, some of you know, before I uh, started here uh, at um, Cornerstone, um, and so that was 16 and a half years ago, uh, I was a, a, an engineer, and so I, my job was to design weightlifting machines. Um, and so I worked uh, for Nautilus for 12 years doing that. 
Um, and so I was able to travel a lot. I was able to go in a lot of gyms all over the country. And I can tell you there's, there's a common thing among gyms. Uh, one, they're usually dark, and two, they smell. Okay? There's just something about gyms that are, are, are not that pleasant. When I think about training, I think about sweaty guys and, and women getting together, lifting weights and stinking, and I just think about those gyms, and I think about people grunting, and I think about people yelling at each other, you can do better, you can do more, one more, one more. And, and yet, I mean, that, that, when I think about training, that's, that's where my mind goes to. Or it goes back to when I was playing sports in, in, in my younger years, and you would have a coach, um, and if coaches now, I mean, coaches back then could get away with a whole lot more. Their language was much more colorful, colorful, right? Much more uh, elaborate. Um, and so I learned all sorts of words um, from sports. But they would, they would, you know, what they're doing, they're coaching you up. They're, 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 they're encouraging you, equipping you, training you, telling you how to do something that you didn't think you could do. That's, in my mind, when I think about training, that's, that's where my mind goes. Interestingly enough, that's very similar to the Greek, what he's talking about here. The, uh, the word for training, uh, it, it, it sounds very much like the, the English word for gymnasium. And it, rec- and it refers to the kind of training that an athlete gets in a gym, where you have a coach looking over your shoulder. And so that's what he's talking about here when he talks about being trained to do these things, that you have a coach, you have someone encouraging you, you have the Holy Spirit over your shoulder telling you, you can do this, right? Uh, you can, you've got this, you've got someone working with you, but you've put yourself in a position to be trained. Luke 6.40 says this, it says, students are not greater than the teacher. But the student who is fully trained will become like the teacher. So who's the teacher? Jesus. And so as we are trained, who are we going to be like? Jesus. And so the the, the danger is we have a whole lot of Christians who life looks nothing like Jesus, and yet they say, hey, I'm a Christian, I'm a follower, I'm a, a disciple. Well, You've not really entered into a training process. You've not understood the assignment, right? And so, uh, again, are we being trained? Uh, Hebrews 12 says it this way, that no discipline is enjoyable while it's happening. It's painful. Can I tell you that the training process is painful? Right? When you lift weights, it does not feel pleasant when you do it correctly, Right? You get yourself to, the, uh, to the, the last rep and you can't do anymore. You've got to train to complete failure for your muscles to grow. No pain, no gain, right? But afterward, there's going to be a peaceful harvest of right living for those who are trained in this way. Again, spiritually speaking, we don't like pain. We don't want to experience that discomfort. We take the easy way out, and because of that, we don't really grow. It it takes a commitment. Uh, It's interesting that the Bible uses this word to describe, this word training to describe how we're to grow. Because it does take, it is a process. It is a painful process. It means we're going to take two steps forward and one step back. It doesn't happen overnight. Well, let me give you some examples. Um, 
I've been going to Nicaragua now for over 15 years. It's been a lot of weeks down there. Um, and so I've been trying to learn Spanish for most of that time. Um, I took a few years of Spanish in high school. Uh, I had three years of Spanish, but we had a different teacher every year. Um, and, like, and so a teacher would leave and we'd get a new teacher. And every year, don't do this, students, can I just tell you? Every year the teacher would come in, I need to see what you guys learned last year. And so everybody played completely dumb. Like, we didn't learn anything. So I took three years of Spanish in high school, but it was Spanish one three times in a row because everybody, the teacher's like, I can't believe you didn't learn that. And we're like, uh -huh, yeah, and we didn't learn anything. Um, so I took three years of Spanish in high school and really got one year's worth of knowledge out of it. Uh, then I started going to Nicaragua, and so I'm trying to, to learn Spanish better. So I'm doing the Duolingo, the Rosetta Stone, the Babel, all that stuff. Um, and then I'm, you know, being there talking with people and I've gotten to the point where I can have a conversation if they talk really slow, <laughs> but when they're talking to each other, I'm like, I have no clue what's going on. Right. I'm just like, I, I'm picking up maybe every 10th, 20th word and like, Oh, I, I know that word, <laughs> but I have no idea. And, and so, but what I'm doing now is every single day I'm doing a Spanish lesson online. Every, why? Because I'm training myself. I wish I could just snap my fingers and learn it, but the problem would be I would do a week or two of lessons and then drop it for six months and then come back to it and then go there. And, and so it was kind of hit or miss, right? I'd just do a little bit here, a little bit there. But if I really want to learn how to become fluent in Spanish, one, I need to speak to people who actually know the language, right? I mean, that's the best way the immersion, to, to get around people who are speaking it. Why? Because they're training me. They're equipping me. They're, they're helping me. They're coaching me. But the other thing it takes is time and effort, discipline, daily, after, day after day. And so, uh, again, I, I feel like I can read it fairly well. I can understand it well if people talk slow. But I won't, I, that's not enough. I want to, to become better at it. So I'm challenging myself. I'm, tr I'm, in, I'm in training right now uh, to learn how to do it better. It's hard work. And, and why do we, we understand that when it comes to playing an instrument? We understand that when, we're, when it comes to preparing ourselves physically uh, to get in shape or to run a race or when it comes to learning a language. But why don't we make those same applications to our spiritual life? It's like we just stand back and say, God, I'm yours. Change me. Do it overnight. I want to be, I want to be more like Jesus, right? I want to be more loving. Just help me. I'm going to try really hard. And again, how is that working? Right? Here's another way to think about it. When we're into training... Um, we get it, and if you really get committed to doing something, you get excited about it. What do you do first? You get the gear. Like I, I'm just telling you, like um, if I have a good excuse to buy, I, I like shoes. If I get a good excuse to buy a pair of running shoes or basketball shoes, I'm going to do it because why? Because hey, I need, my old shoes are worn out. I need a new pair of shoes for the treadmill. I just bought a pair of shoes this week for the specific purpose of running on the treadmill. That's like that's all I'm going to use them for. I need an excuse. Uh, and, and right, we do that. We, uh, we, once we get committed to doing something, we got to get the more expensive socks. We got to get the right shoes. We got to get the gym membership. We got to get the treadmill. Uh, we got to get the, the watch. I, I, 
I've got a watch that I could probably hike Mount Everest with, and I don't really need it, but it gave me a good excuse. I'm like, but I can use this when I work out, right? So I got the watch. We, we, we get the gear. We get geared up. We get the AirPods and the water bottle and the training gels and the vest, and we get all that stuff because we're committed. But then we get a, a game plan when we're truly passionate about something. We're like, we don't just step back and say, okay, I got all the No, uh, we get a game plan, and so we get into training. Now, when I think about training again, I said we think about this gym and somebody coaching you. Uh, my mind went back to Rocky movies this, this week when I was thinking about this. Um, okay, I, I grew up in that time. So, like, the, the, the absolute best motivational music ever written is the training montage, right? Y'all know what I'm talking about? Um, from the Rocky movies, and it was kind of sad this week that Carl Weathers, uh, uh, Apollo Creed, passed away. I don't know if you saw that. Um, that just, you know, but I'm, I'm thinking about every, before every basketball game, in my walk, man, I would get pumped up. The Rocky Four soundtrack, the, uh, you know, the, the training montage playing. I'm getting Eye of the Tiger playing. I'm ready. That's how I got pumped up, all right? Because you, you watch those movies and, you know, instead of being in some fancy gym, he's out there training. He's out there on the streets. He's out there putting in the work. Uh, he's chasing, you know, he's doing all this crazy training to get ready. He's got a game plan. He's got a plan. He's putting it to work. And so if you're in training to change to become the person that God wants you to become, what do you do? You get the gear, you get a game plan, you, know, you start getting excited about it, you start putting in the work, you get disciplined. And so if you're a Christian, you start meeting with other Christians, you get people coaching you. That's the whole process of discipleship, right? You get in a life group, you start getting in the Word and reading about it so you can learn more about who Jesus is. If we want to be like Him, we need to know Him. And so we start doing all this stuff, right? We, and what it does, it allows the Holy Spirit to work in us and through us. We start serving others. We start doing stuff. I read a story this week of one pastor. He talked about working with teenagers. And, and, and I think this is so true in so many churches. He's, he's, he said, how many, he was talking to teenagers and he asked them this question. He said, how many of you have been told all your life you should study the Bible every day? Everybody's raising their hand. Like, yeah, yeah. And then he asked another question. How many of you have ever had someone sit down and show you how to study the Bible so you can get something out of it? He said not one hand went up. They all had been taught the importance of Bible study, but had never been trained in how to do it effectively. Unfortunately, the situation is not unique. Believers are told to pray, but they're not shown how. They're told to overcome sin, but they're not shown how. They're told to witness, but they're not shown how. Telling someone what to do, but not showing them how, only creates frustration, guilt, and a sense of failure. When we put a stronger focus on training, it creates disciples who are fulfilled, who are competent, who, and who are successful. And can I just say, I think we, all American churches, we spend a lot of time teaching you to try instead of training you on how to actually do it. We focus on information instead of transformation. It's easy to, to stand up here and give you all the information. Uh, and, and, again, and I would say this is why we emphasize life groups so much because you really need 
that instruction from other believers. You need that day-to-day life learning what it means to follow Jesus. And, and so we're not just trying to be godly. We're training ourselves to serve God in every area of our life. It's a, it's a mindset change. we got to get serious about it. Let, let's go back one more time. Look at 1 Corinthians 9. I run with purpose in every step. Do you have purpose in every step? I'm not just shadow box. I'm not just boxing with the, with the wind, right? I discipline my body like an athlete, training it to do what it should. Otherwise, I fear that after preaching to others, I myself might be disqualified. That's Paul's prayer. I hope it's our prayer as well, that we're not trying, that we're training. And so how does this play out? Like, I'll just kind of give you some examples, right? If your marriage is struggling, do you just try really hard to save your marriage? I can tell you after counseling a lot of people over the years, if you're just trying, it's not gonna, <laughs> you're not going to have great success. What do you do? You have to train, right? You, you, you get the gear. You get the counseling that you need. You, you, you start doing the work that's required. You start uh, reading the Bible together. You start praying together. You start serving together. You start rebuilding what is broken. It takes time. It takes energy. It takes effort. It takes training to do. You, you want to have a better relationship. You don't just try and have wishful thinking that your relationships are going to get better. You put in the work. You get coached up. You, you, you have people encourage you. You start rebuilding what's broken. You start re- repairing the relationship with your children, with your parents, with your uh, whoever it is that you have a conflict with. You start making new friendships, that people that will encourage you and help you be more like Jesus. You, you start serving one another. You start loving one another. You start encouraging one another. Doesn't that sound like what the Bible teaches us to do? All right. And so all of this is kind of coming together, hopefully helping you understand how we change. Every week we've had a goal as we've gone through this, this series, and every week we've had a question. And so I want to share with you the question this week. If you want to do all this, then, then, what, then, then how, right? And so, and so here's the question for you this morning. Based on who you want to become, how are you going to train? How are you going to train? Based on who you want to become. You've got the gear. You've got the game plan. You're not trying now. You're in training. You're showing up. You're putting in the work. You're letting God empower you and change you and transform you. So how are you going to train? How, what area of your life needs training? Well, let's go back to, to, to Paul again. In 2 Timothy, he says this. He says, all Scripture is God-breathed. It's useful for teaching, for rebuking, for correcting, and what? I didn't hear you guys. Training in righteousness. We need to know what God's Word says. We need to, to, to read our Bibles. We need to learn who Jesus is. The, God's Word starts the training process. It changes us. It teaches us. It corrects us. It rebukes us. And we need it desperately. So, so I just want to challenge you, if you're not reading your Bible, that's really the first step. Is Pick Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John. Just start learning who Jesus is. Start there. 
Then you can start filling in the pieces with Paul's letters and, and then start filling in the pieces from the Old Testament and you start seeing how it all connects together. But the Bible all points to Jesus. It's all about Him and His glory and how we live in this, this, this new kingdom that He has established. I'm a pastor and I still have to read God's Word daily. I need it. Every time I read it, God's pulling out new lessons for me. He illuminates His Word in a way that I see something that I didn't see before. He helps me apply it in a way that I have not applied it before. That's what's unique about God's Word. And, and, and so what I want to challenge you to do this morning is you start thinking and you, you, you start prayerfully seeking what needs to change in your life. What is the desire? What is the thought? What is the attitude that I have that I need God's help to change? And then you start figuring out what I'm going to do to, get, uh, to, to help God change it in me. So if you're an anxious person, let's kind of walk through that. What, what, if you're anxious, that means that you need to grow in trust. That means you need to grow in patience. That you need to grow in peace. You need to grow in contentment, right? Those areas that you can see, that you, you start digging down and getting to the root of what the issue is that you're struggling with, and then you focus on training yourself in the, the opposite, the positive. Right? If you're angry, right, then you need more peace in your life. You need contentment. You need to find joy to counteract that anger. Right? So you don't go to, to, the, to that place. And so you start training yourself, not in not being angry, but in learning how to have joy in everything. Do you, are you tracking with me? So you, you take what's wrong and you replace it with something much better. And that's what you train yourself in. And we have to understand that God wants to change our heart. And He wants to change our motives, our desires, our intentions. And, but we have, to, we, have to, 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 we have to be involved and, uh, and start this training process, this discipleship process. And that allows the Holy Spirit to change us from the inside out. And so Dallas Willard said, A discipline is something we can do that enables us to do what we haven't yet been able to do by our own direct effort. Trying is not enough. And so there are certain things we can do spiritually to, to help us uh, prepare ourselves so that it becomes second nature. So when we get put in a situation, we don't have to think about it. It's just who we are. It's how we respond. So he writes a lot and talks about disciplines. And there's dis disciplines of abstinence and things like silence and solitude and fasting and, and Sabbath. The things that help us slow down. The things that help us connect to God. The things that help us overcome uh, the worldly desires where we can deny ourselves and follow Jesus. But there's also disciplines of engagement that he talks about. Bible reading, Bible memorization, worship, prayer, service. Things that we do that get us going on the right path that help us connect to God. These are the things that we do to train ourselves to do naturally what we cannot do on our own. So again, I kind of want to close today with this challenge based on who you want to become. How are you going to train? What, is, what area of your life do you need more of Jesus? What area of your life do you look at and say, I, I'm, I'm not living like Jesus in this. I'm not loving like Jesus. I'm not leading like Jesus. I'm not serving like Jesus. 
Where, where, where is that area and then what needs to change? And are you willing to do the work, to get coached up, to put in the practice, to, to start entering into training to allow God to change you to the person that He desires you to be? Let's go to the Lord in prayer, guys. Heavenly Father, we, um, we thank You this morning. Your Word just every week, it challenges us, it convicts us, it, it trains us. And it helps us to be more like Jesus. Lord, as we come to you today, I know there are people here that would say there's, uh, there's room for improvement. Right? I, the, my life does not really reflect Jesus in every area. And, and help us remember that you didn't just try to show us your love. That you demonstrated your love towards us. And that while we were sinners, while we were messed up, while we were far from you that Christ Jesus died for our sins. And because of that, Lord, you have, you have changed us. You've transformed us. You've given us a hope. You've given us a future. Because of that fact, because of what Jesus did on the cross for us, we can find forgiveness. We can find freedom. We can find new life. When we confess our need for you, when we confess that you are God in the flesh, when we confess that our sins have separated us from you, and you are so faithful to forgive us of those sins. You, you, you transform us. You heal us. You save us. When we believe, God, that you raised Jesus from the dead after three days in the grave, it, it, it just shows that we have put our faith and our trust in Jesus and Jesus alone to save us. So today, my prayer is that for every person listening here in this room, every person online today, that they would be able to confidently say, I, I know who Jesus is. I put my faith in Jesus. I put my trust in Jesus. I believe. I believe. And because of that belief, I know God has saved me. Saved me from my sin. He saved me to a new eternity in heaven forever with Jesus. I said earlier that being a follower of Jesus, it's not easy, but it is simple. It's simple to understand, but it's hard to put into practice. So, Lord, we ask for your help this morning. Would you help us to, to submit ourselves to you? Would you help us to, to follow you in every area of our life? And so today, Lord, we just want to thank you. We want to give you the glory. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.